Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat. I'm Michael, Mindy's on the other side. See what I did there? See what I did? I did, I did, I did see that. <laughs> uh, you're right, yeah, I don't need to fumble over all that anymore, all the, the, oh. what do you call it, the semicolon, that thing that's always after the title of the movie. The subtitle? Is that, is it really a subtitle? Okay. Uh-huh. Um, the, uh. Keep it simple, stupid. So, yeah, uh, we're going to be going back and kind of clearing the palette of all of the 80s movies that we didn't cover before. I, I think like a year ago I said, do you think we were done with all the 80s movies? And I realized, no, there's still some good ones yeah. in there. Yeah. I think that we would uh, probably could go for a long time on the 80s, but I, I do actually kind of like just bouncing around and mixing it up. I think it's... yeah. It's better, better I think, for me. I really think I only have like three left because we have this, the two, um, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name. Karate Kid. Uh, Ralph Macho. Ralph Macho. Good Lord. I feel embarrassed. Uh, the double feature with him and I was thinking of maybe a couple of the Corey movies. Um, but other than that, I think what's left is more of the last 20 years. I feel like we've almost covered everything in the 90s as well. Uh. Yeah. Though there's some TV shows I'm interested in, but it's hard to do because it's hard. It's not like Freaks and Geeks where you had 18 episodes you could sum it up. It's like, yes. how, how do you have a show that lasted so many seasons and then you got to par it down to the necessary ones that were, you know, the best of or plot driven that advanced the show? That's the hardest part because, like, I want to do Facts of Life, but good Lord, how do you? How do you do that? It was on for like nine years. <laughs> Yeah, we would just have to have that be the only the only focus for like a year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that show's interesting because the first season is completely different than the second season because it was a pared down cast and they added Joe and then you know along the way remember they moved to a house and then they opened a business and then they, they changed uh -huh. the business and. What was Mrs. Garrett laughed and so and then George Clooney's in there, Mackenzie asked. So if you chose like two or three from each like major change in the show, you could do that. Yeah. But then there's like it would still, I think, require more than a, a few weeks. Though, yeah, you know, it's hard. Um, so this episode we're doing the a Matthew Broderick double feature and kind of the beginning and the end of him as a teenager and. Let's say we're pushing it with Biloxi Blues because he was clearly no longer a teenager at this point. Right. But it's kind of like the coda. Um, he's 18 in the movie and he's going off to war. So it feels like that's kind of the end. And after that, it's like a college, I think, for freshmen. And then adult roles after that. Yeah. Plus, was it he what year did this movie come out? 88. Spring of 88. 80, 88. So he was probably in his late 20s by then, huh? Uh, you know what? Let's look. I'm curious how old he was because I know. I so, think, go ahead. Hmm. I was thinking that I did the math and he was War Games came out in '83. Yeah. So I think I did the math and he was like twenty or twenty-one. Okay. Yeah, there's some actors that were able to pull it off longer. I mean, of course, like we mentioned, Ralph Macchio, he was 27 when he did The Last Karate Kid. And, you know, Michael J. Fox uh, pulled it off. Uh, and he, I think, was the same age when he finished with the Back to the Future movies. Uh, oh, my God, how have we not done the Back to the Future trilogy? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Son of a bitch. It just dawned on me we've never done that. <laughs> that's like, that's kind of a necessity of teen movies of the 80s. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is only this is only his second movie, Matthew Broderick War Games. And before this, of course, he was known for doing uh, Broadway, and that's kind of how he got the attention of the producers. Um, I think. Oh, all... that right. That yeah. makes sense. He. Um, oh my gosh, what was the first play that he did? It was not. It was not Brighton Beach Memoirs. It was something else that sh- surprised me. Uh, let me look real quick. Um, but his first movie was written by Neil Simon, I believe, and it was Max Dugan Returned. So he was already in the pipeline with the whole Neil Simon thing. Yes. And um, let's see here. Sorry, Wikipedia is being a pain in my ass. Um, I, what's interesting about War Games is that, it, yes, technically is a teen movie, but it's clearly not aiming for that. It is aiming to be something so much more sophisticated, made for adults. And I'm going to tell you right now, top five. Top five teen movie, easily. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I was absolutely fascinated by it. And I just think it's so well done, so mature. And um, I don't know. I think it wants to be more than just a teen movie. No, I, I, was, I appreciate that stance i agree with you on that front because i mean obviously duh the main characters are teen but in some ways it's very much not a teen movie and i'm going to be honest with you and say that while i can understand why you like it and that it is a good movie i think i personally found it rather dull really okay i Uh. think most of it was it was too slow uh, I don't like that, um, I don't know, it's, I'm not really sure, it, to me it was, like, at the end, it, you know, it ended up being interesting, but I felt like maybe it was just too too slow of a build-up or something, and maybe too much of, like, muckety-mucks talking. <laughs> yeah, it's, sure. it's, it's weird that this was a massive hit, because if you look at almost every single movie that has to do with hacking and computers and stuff like that, they all tanked. I mean, nearly every single last one of them because the general public doesn't understand what it means. And this movie, it's still a little incomprehensible with like the the jargon and, and what's going on yeah. exactly. Especially maybe he- that's what it is. It's jargon and stuff like like I am I'm a smart person, but not in that way at all. Not in tech, like not really techie, not computers, nothing. I don't get any of that shit. And I think maybe I had a I have a personal disconnect yeah. because I don't understand it. And if I don't understand it, it's hard for me to enjoy it. Um, I think Scott enjoyed it more than I did because he is, you know, much, I mean, he's not a hacker, but, or anything like that, but, you know, he is much more in tune with computers and, um, you know, fixing them and understanding them and shit like that, I think, so, I don't know. I can't, I'm not gonna argue that, like, the acting was good and, like, how a movie in, in, made 40 years ago that's hard to wrap my head around um it's still relevant oh absolutely yeah right now it's yeah. it's funny is because this and tron came out so close together and those are like the first computer movies and i think tron was lost on a lot of people because it focused too much on the pizzazz of the special effects and not enough on uh the characters 
and I think the jargon, like the jargon, makes sense now because it's so like part of our world. But I bet you in nineteen eighty-two, yeah. people were just watching it, going, "Yeah, the special effects are really cool, but what the fuck does any of this mean? I don't understand it." Yeah. Um. So I can yeah. see a little bit of that with war games, but the the difference is with war games, the acting is better. You feel for the characters. Yes. Tron isn't really interested in the performances. Right. It's um. The, there, it's, it is very plot driven and quality acting work Tron really is just pizzazz while I appreciate the pizzazz I definitely understand what you're saying there's a lot there's a big difference there um, so his first play was Torch Song Trilogy and I was kind of surprised oh sure okay yeah. now that is movie that I've always been interesting about uh, interested in watching the movie, but it's always been really hard to find, and now it's very, very hard to find. Not anywhere. It's not anywhere. If you want to find a DVD, it's like eighty bucks. But that's Harvey Firestein's play. That's how he became famous. Oh, okay. And then after that, he did he did Brighton Beach Memoirs either concurrently. It says eighty three, so I'm not sure if he did it after this. By the way, Brighton Beach Memoirs is the first part of the Eugene trilogy, uh, which Biloxi Blues is part two. Brighton Beach Memoirs, I think, is a very uncomfortable, creepy piece of shit. Okay. It's very well made, uh, but um, Eugene's character in that is obsessed with seeing his uh, sister-in-law, I think it is, naked, or his aunt, I can't remember. But he's obsessed with it. I was like, that's kind of gross, dude. And this is supposed to be the protagonist? Nah, I'm good. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, how, how, uh, how times have changed. Yeah. Uh, so then, yeah, so he does this. And he's kind of bouncing in between movies and plays. Because if you notice, there's a big gap uh, between uh, War Games and his next uh, theatrical film, Lady Hawk. Uh, part of it is because Lady Hawk was delayed because of production problems, um, but also mm. he. So in that he was doing Bright Beach Memoirs. He did Master Harold and the Boys, which is a Broadway play, but he also shot it, I believe, for PBS. And there was something else in there. So there's a big gap. But if you look, like every time he does a movie, he's also doing a play, like immediately afterwards, like to, to fulfill that need or cleanse the palate of whatever it is he was doing. Yeah, I mean, I knew that he had a lot of like. Broadway experience I guess I didn't realize that that's he had you know he that was like his roots and that he had done it for so long yeah it's how he started I'm sure that's how he'll finish and um you know that's what saved his career too the producers really like reminded people of how great he was because his career was falling apart yeah Trying to see that. So well, he he won best. Do you think it had, it had? Do you think it had anything to do with uh, some of his personal issues? I don't know what his personal issues are. <laughs> oh, like some, that bad? car accident that he was in where he killed someone. Oh right, I forgot about that. Yikes. I'm not trying to like drag the dude through the mud. I yeah. I'm just saying like that there was a point where he had some stuff, and I don't know if. That even was a known thing. So it says here he won, a, he won a Tony for Brighton Beach Memoirs. That's so amazing to win a Tony at 21. Uh, yeah, shit, yeah, son. So, and yet somehow he's never won a, a, an Academy Award. Well, I don't I know. know. It, just, it doesn't seem like he's really got those kind of performances. I can see, though, 
why he got Ferris Bueller because of Neil Simon always has his characters talk to the screen, especially the Eugene character. And so I can see John Hughes watching that and going, oh, yeah, he's perfect for this Ferris Bueller. But I also think that there are aspects of his character in in um, war games that are are similar to Ferris. Yeah, yeah. You know his 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 he's so smart, but also his you know lack of respect for authority and yeah, and, uh, and the manipulating stuff. Like he literally goes into the computer there and does stuff and um yeah. Yeah, so he kind of played that type for a while, and I feel like in the '90s it completely changed into being kind of the um, like the normal everyday underdog for a while. A cable guy really changed things, I think, for his career. I know it wasn't a big hit, but I think a lot of people in Hollywood saw that and said, "Well, he's not a lead anymore, but he can be a good second banana." And then you know, Godzilla came around and, and Inspector Gadget, and yeah, he got a big paychecks, but <laughs> those didn't really help his career. <laughs> Election, which made like twelve million dollars, did more for his career than Godzilla ever did. That's true. I hope, hopefully, though, at least he had some fun with the stuff. Yeah. Because they're not. They're not. Most of them aren't bad movies. Oh, the critics hated them, and the fans of Godzilla hate them. But I'm telling you right now, this is blasphemy. But it's the only Godzilla movie I really like. It's the only oh. Godzilla where I give a shit about the characters. Hmm. Have you seen any of the more recent ones? Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. The only the only one that I liked was Kong versus Godzilla, and I like Kong. I love Kong. I don't care about Godzilla. Uh, I like the one with Elizabeth Olsen in it. I don't even remember which one that is. Is that the one with the kid from Kick-Ass? Yeah. Oh, okay. They're, they're like, married in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't really care for that one. It's it's fine. Which was it's really just... weird because they had just played siblings. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also weird that Matthew Broderick and uh, um, Jennifer Grey were dating after, right. after Ferris Bueller's like, Day Off. Like, like, oh. Yes, that's um, true. But let's go back to War Games. Sorry, kids, we went I'm off sorry. the track. Um, so this got a, a nomination for Best Screenplay. Can you believe this? Like the yeah, Aca- okay. yeah, Academy Award were like just like this little movie. I just didn't expect that, and that it was a massive hit. I know it did well. I didn't know how big it did. Um, a twelve million dollar movie made worldwide, a hundred and twenty four million dollars. I think that the standards and expectations for entertainment are just so different now that. I mean, I don't. I don't think that we realized what it was like in the in the eighties. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and let's eighty three is one of the worst years of the eighties. It's it's a the only thing it, it had. No, seriously. If it you was look a at hit if, by default, is that it? Yeah. Well, I mean, if there's nothing else good going on, why not go see the same movie again, or you know, tell your friends about it? Because all you had in the summer of eighty three that, that I can recall that was any good was this and Return of the Jedi. I don't recall anything else from that summer that was like, hey, you got to tell people to go see this. I see. Okay. Um, directed by John Badham, uh, one of my favorite directors that no one talks about. See, the 80s is always like, oh, the same guys. Joe Dante, John Carpenter, George Romero, those kind of guys, especially the horror guys. Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg. And John Badham never gets any credit, even though he had hit after hit in the 80s. I mean, it's, it's bananas. So it goes Blue Thunder, War Games, Short Circuit, Stakeout. That's a good, hmm. that's a really good run in the 80s. Yes. The, uh, so he took over for Martin Brest 
um, who was kind of bogging the movie down in serious drama. He was making it more of a hardcore thriller. Um, and he got fired because that's not what the studio wanted. And they brought John Badham in because he had just come off of Blue Thunder. Um, and he handled techno stuff, but he also handled it in a lighter way. If you Have you ever seen the movie? Blue Thunder? Yeah. No. Um, I've never it, even heard of it. Oh, it, it was a big hit. Um, it has it's Daniel Stern and uh, Roy Scheider, and their buddies. They're testing out a new helicopter for the police force called Blue Thunder, and um, it has all this technology in it. So it's a techno thriller, but because of their camaraderie, it's a lot of fun for most of it. Um, and then it, like a third of the or a third, I don't know, two thirds of the way through, it uh, starts becoming more of a serious thriller. And so I think the guys who were doing war games saw that and said, oh, he can handle this. Um, so you can feel there's, a, especially in the beginning, there's a light tone to it. It's kind of like these kids horsing around, you know, just having fun, being anti-authority. And then the slow steps were increasing. I don't feel like it's, um, like in Biloxi Blues, you can kind of feel it's going to go in that direction. It's not like a weird change of pace. You're like, whoa, tonally this is wrong. And... Um, I don't know. I just I I love the fact that unless I missed it, I love the fact that Ali Sheedy and Matthew Broderick are just friends. There's no sexual tension. There's no like flirting with each other. There's no kiss at I the mean, end of the movie. Some, yes, there was kissing. Was there? I don't remember a single bit of but it. They kissed a couple times towards the end. Really? I kept even looking yeah. for it and see. I was kind of hoping that it was just an asexual relationship. Appreciate when not everything has to have a romantic twist, but I think that they had a little. Okay. Um. A but, but in general, like when you when she goes up to his room, it's not like this is leading to sex. Right. He's like literally like, hey, come and check out this thing on the computer. This is really cool. And I don't think she's even like, is he gonna ask me to make out or sleeping or whatever? Right. There's, there's none of that she, energy. No acknowledgement that he had no shirt on. Yeah. It almost feels like if they did kiss, I can't believe I missed that. That it was something probably mandated by the studio. Like, we gotta have a romantic oh, kiss, yeah. Um, and then, come on, let's talk about an MVP of the 80s. Danny, uh, Dabney Coleman, I mean, come on. <laughs> he usually played an yeah. asshole. And he's tough in this, but you feel for him. Like, he's not a villain. Yeah, that is, it is interesting. Um, also, I, whenever I've been, I started watching Orton Exposure... Yeah. Lately, and every time we see Barry Corbin pop up in something, we're like, "Oh, he was in other stuff." <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this is kind of seems like the place where everybody noticed him, though. But man, is he ever not been a shit kicker? <laughs> mm, no, I think that's his like only way. Were you shocked by Baby Michael Madsen at the beginning? Oh yeah, I even like. Uh, I had to look it up because I questioned if it was really him or not. Oh, okay. I, I, it really was like, that kind, that kind of looks like him. I was but wrong. Then when I looked it up, I, was, I, I kind of even doubted what I was seeing before my eyes. So yes, I was surprised. I was wrong. I forgot that the first movie that uh, Barry Corbin was in was Stir Crazy, where he plays the warden. That was a few years before this. Shit kicker? Yeah. Uh, looking at it, see, he did a lot of movies in the 80s. But it's funny is you and I just discovered him for the first time, I believe. Yeah, in Northern Exposure. But he's got Urban Cowboy, Stir Crazy, 
the best little whorehouse in Texas, War Games, My Science Project, Nothing in Common. I mean, that's a lot of uh, well-known movies. I somehow we just I never. Think, I think you know how it is when you you like watch a show or something or a movie, and then you're, you like somehow you just didn't ever you didn't see it initially, and then you're like, and then as soon as you watch it, then those people are starting to be like, oh shit, they were in this and this and this, but they just weren't on your radar yeah. for some reason, and that's like because this is you know Scott is watching it for the first time. Uh, Northern Exposure. So whenever we see people in other things, we're like, oh, it's that person on Northern Exposure. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they've done tons of other things. Um... The writer of this, Walter Parks, only ever wrote two movies, even though for a time he was one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. And uh, because of War Games, he became a producer, and then he started working for um, Spielberg, and he was basically running the whole writer's team and executive producing at DreamWorks for years. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I see his, his producer credits... He's got a lot to be proud of. Yeah. But think about... Maybe not be proud of. You only got two scripts made, and they're both big hits about technology. It's war games and sneakers. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Hmm. Did you know that that was a sequel to war games? Yeah, we actually watched it, and we thought it was boring, so we turned it off after, like, ten minutes. We watched it together? Yeah, it was... Well, it was one of the very first, like, streaming Netflix movies. Remember when they first started and they only had a catalog of, like, 100 movies or something? Mm-hmm. We started to watch it there, and we were like, this is some cheap, bl- ugly as shit digital film, whatever, with no actors that we knew, and we just didn't care, so we stopped it almost immediately. Were they supposed to be the same characters? No, I think it's just another movie with hackers. Okay. I just saw that and I was like, that's weird. It's funny is that you can say, would you like to play a game? And most people will remember that it's from this movie, even though they don't really remember the movie itself. Yeah. That statement, that makes a lot of sense. I I do love the logic, the puzzle solving that he has to go through in order to stop it. Yeah, you know, I really, I know I've seen this movie before, but I really didn't remember, like, anything other than, like, the, the two of them were in it, but it, it, but the the fact that he was, like, really alive and in, just in hiding or whatever was, yeah. like, whoa, didn't expect that. <laughs> I should have. I guess, I should have. And, and the guy that wrote with Walter Parks, he went on to do Project X, which Walter Parks produced with, and of course starring. Uh, do you remember watching that movie and it just haunted us for years because of the monkey? Uh, I don't want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, that's the one of those that sticks in your mind forever, but another really good performance by him. It's just Matthew Broderick always seemed like peripheral Rat Pack. But never really taking those kind of roles. And I think it's because I think all the producers and directors that were kind of like higher quality knew that he was more than just one of those kids. And they gave him more of the literate stuff, stuff that was based on books and plays and stuff. Yeah, he has like a, a, like a smart, well-meaning scoundrel thing going on. Like, yeah. I don't know exactly. Not scoundrel, that's not the right word. But, you know, sort of like... Uh, like... Uh, Harrison Ford, but like 
like a teen, like a young person. Yeah, it's so in my head when people say alpha, they always think like muscle bound macho dudes, and I always think it's a lot of the the roles that he plays because he is in control, and a lot of it has to do with uh, anti authority, like the way he controls with dialogue. It's not physical intimidation, but if you look at a lot of his movies, he really is in control, even though he acts like kind yeah. of like meek and and. Uh, and nebbish he's not he's just using that as kind of a rope-a-dope yeah it's an intellectual manipulation yeah um but yeah, not absolutely. not really in a i know some people say that ferris is kind of a villain as they get older they realize mr rooney has like well no mr we talked about it during oh, that episode come on. yeah i don't see it as that way i just both of them were just driven in a different way and it didn't they didn't it didn't agree you know yeah they had they had entirely different agendas that like in my opinion, Ferris's agenda had nothing to do with anybody else, but but Rudy's agenda was entirely obsessive with Ferris. Yeah, that's the difference. <laughs> um. So our next film, Biloxi Blues. It's interesting that this costs more <laughs> than War Games, even though it's basically one location. And I'm kind of confused. I'm thinking it was because it was big paydays. Mike Nichols is a big name. And Neil Simon, a big name, and Matthew Broderick probably yeah. getting him in this role was probably a big coup. So I'm guessing that's where a lot of the paychecks went. It's funny that Mike Nichols made this and then six months later made Working Girl. I mean, talk about a great year. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I'm looking. I'm trying I to just... remember. Mike Nichols, what was he doing these? Uh, well, I mean, he so he had Silkwood. That was kind broadcast of Broadcast big... News? Did he do Broadcast News? No, that's... um. James L. Brooks. Oh. Uh, so here's yeah. So this is like I said, the sequel to Brighton Beach Memoirs, but it's light years better. Um, no, it doesn't have the production value. It doesn't look as beautiful, like you know, nineteen forties or whatever it is. New York, it looks amazing. That's it one... wouldn't. It wouldn't be appropriate to look better. Yeah, but I mean, if you're gonna compare the two, but. Um, it's it's so this is I never really understood exactly is this Neil Simon's life, and he's just slapping the name Eugene on it. I'm I'm it's it basically seems like it's autobiographical, but a, with a little wiggle room. I don't know enough. I don't know anything about Neil Simon. I don't know. Oh, okay, I love Neil Simon. He's one of my favorite writers, and I think he's kind of been forgotten. But during the seventies and eighties, he was like the way that. Uh, uh, you know, in the 90s, we treated um, John Grisham or uh, Michael Crichton. He was like the biggest writer. And, of course, mostly he did plays, so I guess that's not exactly... I don't know. Who, who's a big playwright these days that gets lots of movies made? I can't think of anybody. Nobody. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think... I don't think that theatrical... You know, Broadway theater actors, writers are quite revered in the same way as they used to be. Okay. I do think that there are certain people who break out and are, you know, treated as celebrities, but usually that's when they've transcended and, uh, you know, just theater and are dabbling in all different areas. But I do think that, you know, before. 
before TV was such a thing and so normal and the streaming networks and all that stuff, people treated like theater and that kind of stuff was so much more reverence mm-hmm. and respect because there wasn't as many options. Oh, it's interesting. It's too- Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's just, the people are just so flooded with options now that nothing, very few things, if anything, gets the respect. Yeah, it's true. We're in an age where YouTube videos will get, like, or YouTube uh, personalities will get movies based on their, you know, stuff, so it's kind of different now. Um, What's interesting about Neil Simon is not all of his characters are really that good of people. You know, I mean, they're no. realistic people. Like, Odd Couple, they're just two broken, realistic guys, you know, or... But, like, I watched Last of the Red Hot Lovers, and look, I love Alan Arkin, but God damn, you wanted to strangle him by the end of that movie. Um, and that's kind of a lot of his characters. They're kind of like just shitheads. Um, but they're I mean, relatable shitheads. I mean, say that Neil Simon's characters are, are not that different than, say, Woody Allen in their, like... Very flawed neuroses. Yes. Challenge like lots of things. They're very normal people, and sometimes that means that you have a leading character that you're. You can't decide if you like them or hate them. Yeah, and most of his movies are New York. You know, they're all, they're set in New York or they're Los Angeles or something of the two places that he's lived. What's interesting about Bloxy Blues, I think it's his only fish out of water story where you're taking that New York attitude, but then you're putting it yeah. in a place where it doesn't belong whatsoever and it's um, undermining everything that the people there want. And it's so funny to think that I don't think Christopher Walken's playing a Southern guy. But he has that vibe. He has a little bit of like that twang to his voice and his hatred of city boys and stuff like that. And this is probably, I'm going to say one of Christopher Walken's absolute best performances because he's going against a lot of what you knew of him at this time. Yes, he's adversarial and the end is very villainous, but it's a weird villainous. Whereas like he... not really though it's like it's desperation at a, such a strength he goes about it to me it's sad it's yeah. so fucking sad and he if i don't i mean yes it's scary and like i had told you i was like i was kind of convinced that somebody was gonna die yeah um, because it got it yes you could feel the tension building 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 and it's like why like what was the other guy's name eugene's friend that he oh always picking picking they were both picking 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 yeah just stop but they couldn't stop yeah he's just in what he was in they were antagonizing everybody but especially god he was it i have to cheat i have to look uh epstein epstein and, and that's played by um people forget Corey Parker, but for a moment he was a thing. Oh no! He, yes, I were, uh, yes. Yeah, so he also came from that world. Uh the Broadway I believe that he yeah. had played he took over so I think it goes Matthew Broderick was in Bright Beach Memoirs, then John Cusack took over, and then Corey Parker took over after that. And like theatrically? Yeah, yeah, in the theaters. Um okay. on the stage I should say. 
Um, but then he uh, he plays Eugene in part three of this, I believe. I can't. Oh. It's it's confusing because Jonathan Silverman and Corey Parker are in the final chapter called Broadway Bound, which is a TV movie. And oh my god, I didn't oh. think I was gonna be able to find it, but someone loaded it to YouTube, so I'm gonna watch it. Um, which okay. concludes the story. And um, so it, then there was this, which is probably his biggest role. This was a decent sized hit too. Fifty million for this kind of movie is kind of amazing because you just didn't think people would show up for it. Mm. But he, we we love him because he was in um, How I Got into College. Right. Then just. But also, yeah. was just like I, I don't know. I, I did really appreciate just kind of how the story plays out that um like i said this like weird menacing but ultimately under it was like this level of just pure sadness and desperation that like he has no idea what his life is without the military yeah and he's terrified of what that's going to be and he's not even 40 and he's which is weird so, to think that Christopher Walken was never not above 40. <laughs> right? My God, I don't think, I've never seen him, I don't think I've ever seen him that young. Yeah. And, well, when he um, said that, I was like, no. And I did the math. And I have like, not oh. seen this movie before. <laughs> so, um, and how, you know, Eugene had, you know, he had this whole you know, he's narrating, he's talking, whatever, through the whole thing, and he's saying how he never sticks up for the other guy, and and he finally, at the moment where it really counted is when he did it, and he got to be heroic in a weird way, and then they both, they all got conclusion that they were satisfied with in such a bizarre way honestly yeah but but it was it was justice in their own way that they they had the choices and they they got i don't know some comeuppance i don't know it would be interesting to know what the story what happened afterwards because this is really just such a short period of time during basic training i mean i don't know yeah, I have no idea. I am of life things too, you know. I am curious what the story was afterwards. I mean, well, he did. That's right. I forgot. He said that they never actually went to war. That uh, that oh, it yeah. ended just as they were on their way there, and that they felt kind of robbed because they were in the military, but they never got to to serve. So they felt like guilt, mm-hmm. the survivor's guilt, I guess, if you want to call it. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. You're right. Um, I remember now that they were like. He said what happened to the girl, and that they saw each other years later, and all that stuff. I forgot about that. And that but, was really sweet too, because he wasn't bitter about it at all, or sad. He was like happy for her. Yeah, it was just it was just a fact. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting. You know, I, I I've seen movies and stuff based on Neil Simon plays, but I don't know that I've ever actually just read the plays, and I think that would be interesting to get uh, more sense of like who he was and that stuff and yeah. what what of it was even 
is any of this actually him? But you're right. I, I'm curious about that. Well, he's wrote a couple biographies. So I'm cur- one about like just designing the the screenplays and stuff like that, and then one about his life himself, or whatever. I would I would like to read it. It's so interesting because he was a phenomenon for like I said, 10, 15 years. Yeah. And yes. then this is kind of the end for him because after this, he just has uh, the Marion Man, which I remember wasn't well received, and Lost in Yonkers. Yeah. Lost in Yonkers is really good. It wasn't the hit, but um, it got, I think, Mercedes Rule an Oscar nomination, and uh, I really like it. But after that, it was just TV movies. It's just kind of like that was an era. Like, you know how Stephen King has his ebbs and flows, but Neil Simon has yeah. never had another rising him because just it's the world's changed. People don't want to pay to see this on the big screen. Um, it looks, is uh, sorry. Um, words hard can do it. Uh, <laughs> R- Richard Dreyfus was he in other stuff? Uh, other well, the big Neil one, Simon? the big one for him was the Goodbye Girl. You know that movie is really good. Didn't you see the? It? Didn't you go see the play? I could have swore you went to London and saw it. No, that's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say is that I saw Richard Dreyfus. It was also the it was the lady from the Good Goodbye Girl, the two of them together again doing a Neil Simon play. Okay. In London, that I did see. Yes, I was going to mention that, but I was just trying to remember if he did any other movies. I'm trying to remember which show it was that I saw. The plot. It wasn't the Plaza Suite. Uh, I don't remember, but. I didn't really understand the significance of it, really, because I don't think... Oh, I think it was The Prisoner of Second Avenue is what I saw. Oh, okay. I don't think I had seen them. I don't think I had seen The Goodbye Girl. That makes sense, because that's yes. about older people. That's The, the movie has Jack Lemmon and um, Anne Bancroft. I mean, I was like 19 years old. I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I can appreciate what, what a privilege it was to get to see... Richard so, Dreyfuss. So, did you think that this was slow at all? Um, because uh, I've heard that complaint before, but I just think it's a character piece, and I just—it's like just sitting there observing, like you're at the end of the barracks, just watching them. I do think it was slow, and uh, but that does not bother me. It, it's the difference between—I know I just said the complete opposite about war games, mm-hmm. but for me, it's like this is this is a. A military movie this I mean I guess they both are um, but I was expecting more action and, and stuff like that oh, gotcha, and okay. whereas as this the tone was set pretty clearly and I did not I do not mind a slice of life slow-paced movie I guess if I am expecting if I know what I'm getting into, I don't know. I'm not sure what the difference is. Why I didn't enjoy the pacing as much in the first one. Yeah, I but really, no, I don't. I don't mind stuff like that at all. There's like there's a guy in this. I think most people probably know him from One Crazy Summer or Major Dad. But his name is Matthew Mulhern, and he also played Wachowski on stage. And I like the fact that they, as the movie progresses, they give him more dimension because they start off, he's just like an idiot. He's like, like he said, he was like a goat. He would eat anything and he was just a meathead. And they give him more layers as the movie goes on. And the fact that Eugene actually like, while they're not the same kind of person anyway whatsoever, he respects who he is and what he can do. Yes, 
I did really appreciate that, especially when that scene where they're like find his journal and they're reading the stuff. Oh out god, of it's it. so uncomfortable. That, but it surprised me. Didn't yeah. it surprise you? Yeah, his reaction was like, he, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. He was, I thought he was gonna say a bunch of horrible shit, and in reality, it was mostly like he he really sees the people. Yeah. He really sees them. The one scene that I, I've always been uncomfortable with, even from the first time I watched it when it first came out, was the the prostitute scene. It's just something yeah. about it. I know it's supposed to be funny in a character piece, but it's just so awkward and squirmy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't speak to this, obviously, because I didn't live in that time period, nor have I been in the military, nor am I a man, but I, I am led to believe that those sorts of things were pretty normal. Well, if, you're, if, if, if you were about to die or there's a very big risk of dying, yeah, go have all the sex you want because you have no I idea mean, what tomorrow brings. You shouldn't have, nobody should have to die of virgin, right? No. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. think it's a, it's a really sensitive, thought-provoking, um, it's so interesting also the, the plot. I had no idea, and I just watched this two years ago, and I don't know how I forgot it, um, that you could be court-martialed and go to prison for having gay sex. I don't know. I mean, because well, he says, why didn't you say something? It was not Yeah, but I was just like, I didn't know. I didn't know it was, like, illegal. I thought they would just kick you out of the military and, like, you know, strip you of whatever pension or badges or whatever you got. Well, I didn't know you would serve does time. That make, <laughs> does that make this stuff that happened in the more recent years make more sense to you? Yeah, it's just, it's haunting that that happened. And he's yes. like, well, why I'm not you... disagreeing in any way. It's yeah. horrible. Why didn't you tell the guy, I think he says, why don't you ta- uh, talk to your recruiter or your, your enrollment officer or whatever? I was like, how do you do that? Isn't it, <laughs> if you go to jail for that, how do you not go for jail for it in real life? I don't know what's safe. Well, yeah, plus, like, yeah, who could you trust? And, um... Plus, it's nobody's fucking business. Yeah, I mean, it is, is no, I mean, there's no say, because he probably just wanted to do the right thing and serve his country. What the fuck right. does that have to do with the fighting forces, you know? Well, he was probably drafted, If you know, if, it was very likely that he was drafted. If not, he volunteered. And yeah, what does that have to do with your ability to serve your country? Also, who, who, who says that they would even believe him if he told him that? Because, I mean, I know it's more of People a thing. People are that, trying to... Yeah. People were trying to get out of serving, like, what, mass. It never worked for him either, but, man, wasn't it such a joke for eight million seasons? Yeah. But the, um, it's so funny that Corey Parker's character was even taken because of his health problems. I've seen other yes. movies, like, because he has, like, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, and he's, like, a neurotic mess. And yeah. uh, it didn't even have a doctor slip or something about that, about how he, yes. what he could eat, whatever. And you know that they, they would... They ripped it up and made him eat it. Yeah. What, what do they call that? The 4F or something like that? Or uh, the is what they call when they when they kick you out for medical reasons or mental problems? Yeah, I don't... I really, I really have no idea how that stuff works. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there was a point in time where they were so desperate and in such need of soldiers that nothing mattered. Yeah. I don't know. Well... Um, I I will say, you know, that I think it's obvious to most people in society that the government 
and I'm gonna get. I'm sorry, I'm getting serious now. The government and the the military don't give a fuck about mental health. No. <laughs> Or, or yeah, so, it, it disturbs me to no end that the VFW is such a difficult thing for veterans. I don't mean yeah. the actual thing themselves, but the funding, the locations, the the fact that if you yeah. like, when we lived on the coast of Oregon, if you had to go to VFW, you had to find a ride to get you into like I think it was Salem or Portland, and that's unreasonable. The I don't understand why you have to go to a VFW doctor. Why is the government not giving them insurance to go whatever goddamn doctor they want to wherever they live yeah i am in an interesting situation where i mean basically you know 10 minutes away is a vet's home and hospital and you know we there's a very elaborate setup here but i know that just things I've heard, I don't know personally at all, that it can be very complicated to get the assistance that you have rightfully earned. Yeah. Uh, but I think I could probably go on for, on about yeah. that for a very we, we long just, time, and that's for a century, an entirely yeah. different conversation. For the entire history of the military, we use them up and spit them out. We don't give a fuck. Uh, not well, we, but I think, we, yeah. I think that's the American way. Yeah. Um, what bothers me is that Toomey is being kicked out of the military, which makes no sense to me because yes. he has to have his metal plate. Well, no. How do, What does that have to do with his training? He can still train. Why can't he? If not that, why not work in an office? He's not in the yeah. field. I, that, I, that is so confounding to me. I don't know. He just said, once you go to the, the vets or what do you say, whatever, you don't come back. Yeah. But I don't I don't know. Why and why were they forcing him to get it removed or replaced to begin with? I don't understand it. Shouldn't that be his choice? Yeah. But do you have choices when you're in the military? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. There's so obviously there's some missing pieces, but that does just because I am curious about those things doesn't mean that, you know, I always want more. I always want to understand better. Yeah. Well, and it's so I funny is context, you know. Total, total side note. This is the shortest Christopher Walken's hair has ever been. <laughs> I've never. It's always been kind of big and spiky or long. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna have to investigate like Christopher Walken, his earlier projects because. I mean, I don't even know what was, what do I, what was the first thing I actually saw him in? Uh, well, I know Deer Hunter is the first big thing that people I've noticed. Seen that. Yeah, and then it was, um, it was either Dogs of War, which is boring and mediocre as hell. Um, Never seen that. Pennies from Heaven. <laughs> Never seen it. You've seen Pennies from Heaven, the one with Steve Martin? No, I have not. Oh, no, I have not. I have. Um, okay, so it's what, what's after that? It's, uh, I think Dead Zone and brainstorm you never seen dead zone (laughs) oh my god you gotta see dead zone then he was the bad guy i believe in a view to a kill which is a james bond movie which i don't think you've ever seen um maybe the worst of the bond movies uh then he did a really good one called at close range with him and sean penn which i may do on the show because it is about teenagers um phenomenal performances by everybody it didn't make much money but good lord um, and it was based on a true story. It's about like a, a, a low rent, like I think it's in Kansas, crime family. And uh, Christopher Walken gets out of jail or whatever. He wants to start it up again. And he starts recruiting his his kid and then all his friends. Ooh, because wow, they're underage and they can do stuff that he can't do. 
yes, I see. Um, and then, I mean, honestly, yeah. is my first introduction to him Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I think a lot of people. Uh, the prophecy, I think, for a lot of people. Oh, Batman Returns. He's one of the bad guys in Batman Returns. Most people Maybe. forget that, though. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I saw a decent amount of his stuff in the '90s, but yeah, well, too his old, career too. I rem- intro romance. That's yeah, it. I remember his career was looking pretty bleak. He was just doing small performances in bigger movies, and then he was doing a lot of cable and direct-to-video stuff. And then mm-hmm. Mouse Hunt seemed like it was the first step in a different direction because that was a really funny but small performance, but I think everybody remembered it. And then he had that video, and all of a sudden everybody's like, holy shit, Christopher Walken. Then he started doing SNL a bunch, remember? Yes. Yeah, and that's kind of like, that changed his career. Then uh, well, he got an Oscar, I think, for Catch Me If You Can, so that kind of changed the direction for him. Catch Me If You Can was like 2002 or something. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was a slow build up, like lighter performances instead of the villain and everything. Well, it's always interesting to see, you know, different sides of people or to see, you know, er- er- earlier works that you weren't familiar with. So I, I'm clearly. There's some stuff that he's made that I need to go back yeah. and, and, and watch. I so. think my favorite part uh, of this movie is pretty early on when they're hiking through the mud. And he yeah. wants them to go in the water. And he goes, uh, Eugene, who do, you, uh, who do you choose as volunteer? And he's like, what? He goes, who do you choose as volunteer? Pick one of these guys. He goes, I'm not going to do that. He goes, yes, you are. Uh, I choose myself. You're not getting out of it that easy. And he's like, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't. He goes, what's that? What's that? Oh, Wachowski. Okay, get in there, Wachowski. He's like, ah! <laughs> Good win. Yeah, he, he, yes, he was trying to get his ass beat. Yeah. <laughs> you New York well, boys. I even earlier than that, when they first get there, he's like, all you gotta say is, what does he say? Yup, uh, whatever, I don't know. Oh, yeah. And then he just, he said, yup, nope, yup, yup, I don't know. He's like, stop it. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. When it was ho. It was ho. I don't and know he's, if, he could, if he couldn't shut up or if he just. I don't know. No ho. Ho no. Ho sir. Yo, ho ho yes. no. Yeah. Ho ho. He's like, are there two of you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I really. Ultimately, I really like the dialogue, the writing, uh, you know, the subtle conflict, the build up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I remember being. Yes, I was well, very. I don't care. I remember seeing the trailer in front of some movie. I want to say it was probably Three Men and a Baby. Because um, mm. it's like the only movie that we would have saw that was any time around that. But I remember watching that and thinking, this is going to be hilarious. And then we watched it, <laughs> and it wasn't that funny. And I remember being very disappointed. That was a thing back then. I could never enjoy a movie for what it was. I could only enjoy a movie for how it was sold to me. Like, I remember not even liking Dirty Rotten Scoundrels that much when I was a kid because, oh, A, they left out one of the scenes that I loved. And two, it wasn't as crazy. But then I watched it again. I was like, oh, I was so wrong on this. And same thing with Bloxy Blues. I'm so wrong. It's such a good movie. But the humor is more grounded. It, it's it's human behavior that's so amusing. Yes. But I, I do think that, you know, there is something to be said for, like, how it's presented and how misleading that often it's often intentionally misleading yeah and then but also sometimes it's just it has to hit you at the right time for you to really get it too there's a lot of stuff that i did not appreciate or even hated the first time i saw it 
that I've grown to appreciate over time because yeah. I think I needed to adjust my mindset or give stuff another shot with uh-huh. a clearer mind. The uh yeah, it's 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 funny how movies can change over time. Sometimes you're like, "Oh, was I drunk on nostalgia, you know, for this movie, or was I a stupid yeah. child, or you know, stuff like that?" Where you like, "I did." Was you... I a stupid child? Yes, we were stupid children. <laughs> we're not that stupid. We just we love being um, entertained. That's it. And we weren't that because everything was new to us. We weren't that uh, discriminating. No, I mean, I don't know too many kids that are. <laughs> that, that comes over. You yeah. you know with age and experience you become more discriminating and figure out you know your tastes and interests. Yeah. But when you're that age, you just want to absorb everything. All right, everybody, uh, that is it for this episode. Uh, you know where to find us, Mindy. Thank you for another great episode. Thank you. Oh my God, it was a miracle! I opened and closed the episode without fucking it up. <laughs> Cookies for everybody. We we we. we, we we got off track quite a bit. But that's yeah, that's at the point. <laughs>